The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Book of Genesis chapter 1, we're going to jump right into God's Word. Most important thing we'll do while we're here is open God's Word and, uh, and, and trust that the Lord will speak to us from His Word. Genesis chapter 1, first book of the Bible. If you're not a believer, you're a new Christian, you don't know the, you don't know the Bible yet, you will. Um, and Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so it should be pretty easy to find. There's no, no, probably no pictures in your Bible, but... Uh, but yeah, Mikey's, Mikey's got an action Bible. It's got pictures in it. <laughs> okay. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read verses 28 through 31. This is the word of the Lord. And God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray. God, I pray you'd bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word. Please give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. And I pray that you would help me to say only those things that you would have me to say, nothing more, nothing less, for your glory. God, I confess to you that I am completely unable and incapable of rightly handling your word because I am not you. But Christ in me, by your spirit, I pray that you would speak with clarity. I pray that you would exalt that which has been brought low in us and that you would bring salvation to those that may be here that don't know you. God, if there's a man here that doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray you'd bring him to saving faith by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the gospel. I pray that if there's a man here that's living in an adulterous relationship, God, that you would bring him to such conviction that he couldn't sleep, he couldn't eat, he couldn't live with himself. I pray that you would set men free from addiction, from the chains and bondage that they may be under. I pray that you would help us understand that in Christ we overwhelmingly conquer because you have conquered that which we could not conquer and you've brought us along in that conquest. So now, please help us come and meet with us. And I thank you that you already have in this time of worship. And so please bless this time in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So, <clears throat> I, two pictures. I got two pictures today from, from uh, buddies that have sent me pictures of bears in their yard. And uh, one of them, Timmy's here, Timmy Burnett, uh, who was up here in the, in the game earlier. A picture of a bear. He took it out of his right out of his window it's getting into his trash or something i remember a few years ago uh, uh i was laying in bed one night it's about three in the morning i think and i wake up and my wife who's the gal that's playing drums is standing over me with an ak-47 and uh i've seen too many movies you know i, I don't think <laughs> i'm thinking and uh 
So I, I'm, I'm kind of groggy, and I said, are you awake right now? And she said, oh, yeah, I'm awake. And so there was a bear in the yard, and she was debating what would be the best weapon to shoot it with, you know. And, and, uh, and so I said, well, we got some bigger stuff. <laughs> let's, let, let's go out. And so sure enough, there's a bear in the yard. And over the course of the next few nights, that bear kept getting in the, coming into our yard. It was a big, really big bear. kept coming into our yard. And so and call the, the game and fish guys and trying to figure out what to do with it. And there's this, there's this. Uh, unbalance in creation that hasn't always existed. There wasn't a time where man had to fear a wild animal or a hurricane or a tornado. There was a time where man didn't have to fear anything in creation because man had been given stewardship and authority over the creation. But that time was very short-lived in historical context. Remember the first time that and a lot of you are new, so I'm going to tell this story. A lot of guys have been here before, and they know this story probably, but my son, who's, uh, who's in high school now, when he was about seven, he killed his first bear, and it was, it was a perfect day. It was snowing, and we went hunting that day, and they were out of school, and it was not far from camp here. and went on top of the mountain, a bunch of guys there, a bunch of buddies, and got the dogs pulled back. It's a pretty, if you've ever done it, it's a pretty intense thing, and got the dogs pulled back and the bear's on a pretty low hanging limb and I remember uh, looking at that little fella and saying you think you can shoot him in the face and he said I think I can and and boy it was intense and and you know so loud it's just deafening and 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 so he was able to get the shot you know I think I said why don't you just shoot him in the shoulder and then we'll and then keep shooting you know until he's not wiggling anymore or whatever you know (laughs) and so so he shoots him and it was intense man the bear falls the bear comes out of the tree and and I, then I'm shooting, and my buddy's shooting, and he hits the ground, and he kind of does this death roar thing. And I remember just sticking the barrel of, of, a, of a little 44 Magnum carbine right to the base of his neck and pulling the trigger, you know, and just stuff went out this way, and the bear went off the side of the mountain. And I remember turning around looking at that, my, my son, who's seven, and, and it's just this look of, I, it was a lot of things going on at once, you know. It was like a lot of emotion, a lot of energy, a lot of, but what was so cool was that night we're eating bear steaks, you know, just me and him. It's just, just us. And we're eating fried bear meat and, and taters and onions. And, and I said, son, you killed the bear. Why don't you give thanks for the meal? And he said, Lord, I want to thank you that today I took dominion over this bear. <laughs> you know? And uh, that's one of my favorite stories to, to tell. It's just so it's so, it's so perfect, but it's in the heart of a man to, to 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 be a conqueror, you know, to be in conquest, and particularly over that which God has created in the created order. In fact, this week um, in North Carolina, state of North Carolina, um, archery season opened, and a lot of you are probably not hunters, and I'm not going to I'm not going to tell a bunch of hunting stories, so don't freak out. This is the last one, but uh, we were out. Uh, so Tuck, my son, had broke his collarbone in a football game last week. So I'm like, oh, so he can't pull his bow. And so we go way back in the mountains. We set up this little uh, ground blind out of brush that he can hunt out of. And he calls me about an hour uh, before dark. And he says, I just shot a doe. And he said, but it's a mess over here. And I said, what happened? And he said, you better just get over here. And so I, well, I had a pretty good little walk to get to him. So I walked over to where he was. And I said, what happened? He said, well... He said, I'm trying to shoot this thing left-handed. His arm's in a sling. He's like, I'm trying to shoot this thing left-handed off the rest. And so he shot it. He spined it. So he shoots the thing in the spine. And so if you've ever had that happen, it breaks it down. All that's left is the front legs, and they're still cranking, you know. And this thing's running down the side of the mountain. I said, what'd you do? He said, well, I couldn't cock the crossbow to shoot him again. So I ran down there and jumped on her and tackled her and held her head down on my neck and cut her throat. (laughs) I said, 
I said, all right. I said, all right, man, where's, where's the deer right now? And he said, and he's, he's a pretty chill kid. He's like, oh, she's right down here. So we go off down, and y'all, he has almost decapitated this thing, man. Like, head is just like flopping like this. The spine's still attached. And so, so we, we cut it up. We're, uh, uh, the way we do things here in the mountains is we cut it all up and debone it right there and put it in our packs, and we pack it out. So it, it's about a half-hour process of deboning this thing. We get done. It's pitch black, man. It's, it was uh, during all that rain that we had this week from the hurricane uh, blowover. And so pitch black, we're under a thick canopy. And our, our, what we do is we sit down after, after a kill, and we, we pray, and we thank the Lord for, for the opportunity. And then we sit for about 10 to 15 minutes just in, in the woods. If it's a morning hunt, we sit in the morning. If it's an evening hunt, we sit in the dark. And so we're sitting there. He prayed. And thank the Lord for a good hunt. And so we're sitting there. And, and, but the reason I bring the story up is this conversation develops and starts to unfold where I said, let's just sit. Let's just listen. I want you to listen. It's pitch black. We're miles from a hard top in the middle of the National Forest. And I said, I want you to just listen. Let's see how many sounds we can identify. And we, we got about 11 or 12 different sounds we're identifying. And I said, you know, the average human would be scared to death to be alone sitting right here, right now. And that's because the created order has gone inverted. It's upside down. And we're now scared of everything that we were created to dominate. Now, when I say dominate, I mean in the sense of stewardship. And we're going to talk about that. Not dominate with a heavy hand. Not dominate like a monarch or a dictator, but to maintain stewardship over, like you maintain stewardship over your garden or your lawn. And so man is afraid, oftentimes, of that which he cannot control. And man gives into that which he cannot control because what we do is we submit to the thing we fear the most. We submit to the thing we fear the most. So if what I fear the most is not being gratified sexually, then I'm going to submit to whatever it takes to gratify me in the moment sexually. If what I fear the most is poverty, then I'm going to give my life to pursue material possession or financial wealth. But if what I fear the most is the Lord, then everything else in the created order is going to fall under his plan and his will for my life. And I'm going to be a steward, a guardian, a cultivator of what God's entrusted me with. We're sitting in the woods and I said, I said, right now, you have to recognize that we're part of creation. There is one creator, and everything else is creation. But what makes us different, son, than everything we're listening to right now, is that we bear and carry the image of God. We're image bearers. That's why it's okay that we just took this animal. We're going to eat it. And that's why it's okay that we took it, and that's why it's not okay to take another human's life and murder. And so we're, we're walking through this idea of what dominion looks like and the, pro, like, like the, the journey from boyhood to manhood, that's a critical component to that journey. That most of us, not all, but most of us probably weren't shepherded well in that transition. Most of us probably weren't. Because we live in a society and a culture where there's a deficit in, understand, in understanding what biblical manhood is supposed to look like. And so what we're left with is this like a really like obnoxious, aggressive, overbearing, abusive version of manhood, which is no manhood at all. Or we're left with a very passive, very um, 
like, like not, it's not that I'm peace-loving and it's not that I'm serving, it's that I'm passive and I refuse to take the responsibility God's given me. And so we've got men that don't have a spine. And so we live in a, in a culture that what, where this has all come to a head is that we live in a culture where most men walk around with a sense of entitlement. And it's rooted all the way back in the garden. Because what happens after this chapter couple chapters later is that sin comes into the world because man fails to do what God's told him to do what we're left with is men with no clear purpose and no clear joy provided by this world what once was to be mastered by man is now feared by man and now masters man the result of this is that men reject responsibility they reject responsibility for their marriages they reject responsibility for their children They reject responsibility for their actions. And the place of that is a sense of entitlement. And we have created a generation of man boys who live under the false idea that they deserve whatever their heart desires. Only problem is the heart cannot be trusted because it is bound to the flesh. It is bound to Adam. But praise be to God that the Lord Jesus had no sense of entitlement. Though in the form of God, he thought equality with God not something to be grasped, but humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, and became obedient to death on a cross. Because Christ refused to maintain a sense of entitlement, we can be set free from ours. And we can be restored to what God originally intended for us in Genesis chapter 1. Because what we've got in our text tonight is God's original design and purpose for man. And that's every one of us, single, married, granddaddy, I ain't got a kid yet, wherever you fall on the spectrum. This is God's purpose for us. So let's start in verse 28 and walk through this text. First thing it says is that God blesses them. And I want to point out that blessing in this text comes in the form of God giving them responsibility. Being given responsibility is a blessing, not a burden. Being given a responsibility is a blessing, not a burden. This is why it's critical in raising our sons and our daughters, but particularly in raising our sons and our grandsons, that we put responsibility on them at an early age, and then we hold them responsible for their actions. And there may be some of us in the room that have never been held responsible for our actions, and that wasn't ingrained in us. So it's going to take a hard work of the Holy Spirit in my life to bring that about. But, but responsibility is given as a blessing from God. Look what it says. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful. And what starts here is, or is this series of commands that's God, that God's going to give the man. So God's blessing him and then giving him commands. So with, like, like with the command comes blessing and with the blessing comes command. So when I'm acting in obedience to God and I'm doing what God's called me to, a couple things are going to happen. One, I'm going to have joy. And two, I'm going to have purpose. And neither one of those things are tied to what any other human can do for me. If I'm doing what God's called me to do, I'm going to maintain joy in my life. I'm going to maintain purpose in my life. And I'm going to tell you something, man. If you got joy and you got purpose, the gates of hell can't prevail against that. Like nothing can rob you of that. If your joy, like when your joy and your purpose is rooted in something that is eternal, when your joy and your purpose is rooted in God himself, when your joy and your purpose is rooted in the finished work of Christ and the promise that he will be faithful to complete and finish the same work in you, nothing in this world can take that from you. 
You can be the last man standing on planet earth and nothing can rob you of joy and purpose. But when you hang joy on a material possession or an earthly relationship, if I could just have this, I would have joy. If I could just do this, I would be fulfilled in my purpose. What's going to happen is every earthly institution is going to fail and every earthly relationship will somehow end. And then you're left with no joy, no purpose. You're just sort of floundering at that point. And so what God is giving to us in Genesis 1 is joy and purpose, and they come as blessing in the form of responsibility, and we want to look at what those responsibilities are because they matter to us today. The first one is this. The first one is this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, God says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So, so what God's doing in our text, verses 28 through 28 and 29 is God's giving man stewardship over the creation and in giving him stewardship over the creation He's calling him to responsibility and calling him responsibility. He's given him a task to do He's given him a job to do now in Genesis 2 15 the word for work and keep I think in New American Standard It says cultivate and keep and some other translations may say something else as well But the idea behind those two words listen the word for work or cultivate God put the man in the garden to work or cultivate in our text tonight to have stewardship over, to to put things in subjection under him. That idea means literally to grow fatigued, to toil, to labor. Now, here's why that's important, because most of my adult Christian life up until about, I got saved when I was 19. So probably the first 10 years of my Christian life, I really thought that work and sweat and toil and labor were the result of the fall. That's not true. The result of the fall is laziness and fighting against a creation that refuses to be subdued. Make sense? So, so I'm having to work against a world system that's pushing back against me. Prior to the fall, the world was in subjection under the feet of the man, but the man still had to work. In fact, when God tells him to work and keep the garden, and when God tells him to to put everything in subjection and dominion under himself, the words that he's using are words that that relate to the idea of sweating by the brow or growing to fatigue or being enslaved to a task. And so God built us and created us for work and responsibility and for task. Now, the second thing he says in Genesis 2.15 is God put the man in the garden to work and keep. And the idea of keep literally means to build a hedge or a barrier of protection around all that God has entrusted me with. So my job, so Adam's job in the garden was to create a defense around everything God had entrusted him with. Specifically his marriage, his family, stewardship of the earth the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the middle of the garden so if adam think about this so if adam's to build a barrier wall around the garden if he's to create a safe place from which he would do what god had called him to do and the center of that is the knowledge the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and when the serpent encounters the man and the woman he's standing at the tree which means adam has already failed to do what god has called him to do So the idea of working, the idea of keeping, the idea that we're to labor, we're to enslave ourselves to a task, we're to work to fatigue. In other words, at the end of a day, when you're exhausted because you pulled double shift or you worked overtime and didn't get paid for it and you're exhausted, you should be extremely joyful in that. God created you to do that. And it should be fulfilling. Should be fulfilling. Whether you sit behind a desk all day or whether you drive a truck or whether you work in 
emergency medical services, the medical field, or law enforcement, or in the military, or you work with your hands and you're callous to the bone, whatever, at the end of the day, you've done what God's called you to do. Okay, but that's not where your identity lies. That's not where your identity lies. So in, 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 in following what, with what God is saying to the man and the woman, particularly to the man in Genesis 28, what we're learning is that God has built a man to work and serve and love. <laughs> Anybody flinch? I bet Kevin Seeger didn't flinch. Dean Fage did it. Like a rock. Okay. Three things. There's three specifics that God gives in the way of responsibility for the man in the text. The first one is, he says, he's to fill the earth through multiplication. So he's make babies. Get married. I mean, God's going to bring him a wife and be married. They're going to have kids. They're going to grow a family. Number two, uh, have dominion over all animal life. And number three, cultivate and grow and eat the food that he grows. So in other words, God's given him three responsibilities. Work for your food. You, like the Proverbs will say this, you don't work, you shouldn't get to eat. Like that's the way it goes. Like you don't work, you don't eat, okay? Have dominion over the animals so we don't worship animals. This is why in pagan religions a lot of times, what are they worshiping? Animals. And Paul says it this way in Romans 1, they exchanged the created thing for the creator and they worshiped that which had been created rather than the creator. And, and then he says there to multiply. Now the idea of multiplying is to grow a family, that will grow a family, that will grow a family, and to build a legacy that will spread long beyond your posterity. Like generations, God will later talk to the Israelites about things that will be to a thousand generations. And so we're to put down roots and establish in our family a legacy that's a gospel legacy that lasts for generations. One of my favorite stories is knowing I have a great, great, great granddad who's a circuit riding preacher in Western North Carolina, rode through the mountains, and I just wonder, I wonder if that cat ever prayed for me. You know, I wonder if he was ever like, God, I prayed a thousand generations. I'd have men that would preach the gospel. I don't know. Maybe he did. It's just kind of cool to think about. Mountain man riding around on his horse, preaching for chicken. <laughs> no, probably not getting no money. Just preaching. The God. But what is, what is my legacy going to be both in, in the way of like what I invest into the people that God is going to enable me to invest in, but then also in terms of like the life that I live and what's going to be left behind. So God's given him these three things. So first, God's telling us to do some really good things. We get to make babies, which is a lot of fun, but raising them is really difficult. You have to provide food for them. You have to discipline them. You have to keep them from killing themselves. You have to keep them from killing other people, from doing things like blowing up toilets and lighting curtains on fire. Personal experiences, by the way. <laughs> it's a hoot. But if we do it right, there's a great reward and gratif gratification in raising of children. I'll tell you a, a parenting story. I got a four-year-old. Y'all, I'm 45 years old. I have a four-year-old. I lost my mind. You don't do that, okay? Not on purpose, but we did. Okay, so, all right, so I've got this four-year-old, all right? And, I, like, he's, he's enthralled with RC, radio-controlled trucks, all right? And I got... Uh, I got five kids. He's the youngest. And so he wants this RC uh, truck. And, and uh, so it's like, okay, he had to earn, you know, he earned one and we bought it at Walmart and it lasted like literally a day. Okay. It's like 15 bucks and it's done. It's like he destroyed it. All right. So, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I get it. That's, I, he's my kid, you know? So like, I totally get that. And so then he ends up getting another one. 
couple months later, I don't remember that, well, that was four, but he got another one. So I was like, little, look, we're starting school, and he's pre-K, he's, he's starting school. I was like, if he, if he rolls through this thing and he makes it through the first couple weeks of school, he don't light nothing on fire, don't get sent home, they don't call us, they're not, nobody's about to beat him or anything like that. Let's, I want to buy him a really good radio-controlled truck. We don't just buy our kids gifts in the middle of the year for no reason, right? Well, I want to buy it for him because here's what I want to be able to do. Turn him loose with that truck and have like 30 minutes of peace. Like, so it's a selfish purchase, you know what I'm saying? I go to the hobby shop. I spend several weeks studying this thing, you know, like I'm at the hobby shop. I get it all figured out, which one I'm going to buy. I drop about 80 bucks, which apparently is a cheap entry level. But to me, that's like, that's, like, that's big time, you know. For a four-year-old, spend 80 bucks. Like Christmas, you give that kid a candy bar and he's happy, you know. So I drop 80 bucks. So we come, so he's like, I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. So I buy an extra battery. We charge him up. We come to camp. We turn him loose down here at the basketball court. He starts dialing it up. He's getting it. That thing is crazy fast. He takes off up the hill, and then I see him stop, and he's looking. And there's over there in the little volleyball court, there's a mud hole about the size of this stage, about that deep of water. And I'm on the phone, and I'm not paying attention. And I see him running that thing down there, and he builds a ramp out of sand, and he launches that thing and nosedives it into that. He, that truck lasted a total of about 16 minutes, and it's fried. <laughs> it's done. 80 bucks gone that I cannot recover. It's gone. And he's sitting there crying, you know, like, ah! and I'm like, this you, dude. This is you. When you're stupid and you act like an idiot, you blow stuff up, you got to live with the consequences. You know, like, I can't, I can't help you, man. Like, you come up with 80 bucks, you can buy another one, and it, but the next one's on you. You know, so like raising kids every day is a challenge, isn't it? If you're, and some of you are like, no, I got mine grown. It's good. No, you know what? <laughs> 30-year-olds can be a challenge, you know? Like, you, you ain't done until you're done. And so, like, the, but the idea is, God made the, the rearing and the multiplication of the family to be a blessing, right? He said children are heritage from the Lord. You know, if you don't have kids, that's cool. There's so many young men in your church that need you to invest in them. Those of you that have been to a Be Strong conference before, we're always going to hit on that at least once. Invest in young dudes, young guys. Find an older man to look to and learn from. That's what Timothy did with Paul. It's what Paul did with Timothy. David and Jonathan. Did you know that if you do the timeline, Jonathan, Jonathan was between 20 and 30 years older than David. It's this investment opportunity for us in ministry. And so, so, but for those of us that are dads or granddads or hope to be dads, the, the reality is God's given us this, this responsibility not just to physically multiply, but to multiply for us the impact of the gospel. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What does it profit a man to graduate from University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Magna, whatever they call that thing, you know, like with honors and all that, like, and make a lot of money and do great things if he walks away from the gospel. Like, I don't want that. I don't want that. Additionally, our offspring will carry the legacy of the gospel to the next generation will be the church of tomorrow. And we'll take the gospel to more people than have it today. It's a great responsibility. And the initial responsibility was given to Adam so that he might continue the expanse of the human race and might maintain authority of the creation by growing in number. But after the fall, things got difficult. Sex and procreation and child rearing were God's plan. But while Adam's rebellion and failure didn't change the plan, they did change the process. Things are much more difficult, difficult now. Being a daddy is harder. Being a husband is harder. Being a provider is much more difficult cultivating relationships much more difficult 
and protecting what God has entrusted to me is almost impossible. In essence, man has struggled to carry out the first order of instruction in this verse ever since our first father failed. Consider the rate of fatherlessness in our day or the number of kids that have a dad but not one who raises them in what Paul refers to as the nurture, instruction, and discipline of the Lord. Also consider the sexual struggle of humanity. There's so much that could be addressed here. The industry for trafficking girls and women is catastrophic worldwide, and the amount of child abuse that takes place in our own world is epidemic. In addition to this, promiscuity has been rampant in most of the world's cultures and societies since the beginning of time. In our own day, the porn industry is so big, it cannot be effectively measured. Back in 2010, Barner Research revealed that the porn industry alone was grossing more than all major professional sports in America. This includes Major League Baseball, NFL, National Hockey League, NBA, and NASCAR. Combined gross sales, porn was bigger. That was in 2010. Now consider that since then, we've moved from people primarily using laptops and home computers to using personal devices that are at their disposal 24 hours a day. John Piper said, viewing pornography today is easier than getting up and going to the refrigerator to make a sandwich. And he's right. What's the problem? Here's the problem. It's a dominion issue. It's a dominion issue. Do I have dominion over that which God has created and entrusted me with? Or am I in bondage and slavery to that which God has created for me to be master over? Specifically, the idea of my sexuality. It's slavery to sin in the, in the flesh. The sad thing here is that it doesn't really even satisfy in the moment. Listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So it sounds like he did everything he's supposed to do. Like this is, he's cultivating, he's creating. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. Now we got a problem. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So, so in essence, before pornography existed the way we know it today, Solomon was living out a nightly pornographic experience. Just think about it. We've all heard the stats. There's 700 concubines, 300 wives, something like that. At his disposal. And not just at his disposal, but at his beckoned command to do with as he pleased. Like in, like in the flesh, I want to be very careful in, in, in the most sacred way, address this. In the flesh, unharnessed, unharnessed unleashed, untamed, uncontrolled, desires of every man's flesh take christ away take an understanding of love away take take like any motivation to do what is honorable away and just feed the desires of the flesh you could not no one has ever reached what solomon reached in that realm okay and listen to what he says so i became great and surpassed all who were before me in jerusalem 
Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. It's vanity. He says, all of that, and there's nothing left. And we know this to be true because we've all had the experience of indulging in the flesh, of being disobedient to what God would have us to do in a moment, and a moment later, it's not just that it no longer satisfies, but it brings with it. Think of, the, the, the number would be staggering of the number of men in here that have, I would, I would almost say, it's got to be close to 100%, that have given in to sexual desire, pornographically or promiscuously. And every one of us who knows Christ, and most of us, even if we, we don't know Christ, would say that the moment of regret is not just a moment of regret, but it's a sucking, gaping hollowness. A void that is left that I don't know what to do with and that I don't have the authority to handle. And Solomon's saying, yeah, that makes sense. Because back in Genesis 1, God said, I'm going to give you a wife, be fruitful, multiply. And you'll be fulfilled in doing what God's called you to do. But everything's upside down. How many of us would give testimony to that fact? Likewise, the pursuit of material things in this world and all that it offers to find joy or purpose will leave me empty. Back into our text, Genesis 1. We consider the second thing, that the man should have dominion over animal life. Isn't it interesting that it, that it was a created animal that reversed the order of worship? Not only did Adam not maintain the authority God had given him, but also, rather, he fell to the very creation he was to subdue. What takes shape is an exact reversal or inversion of the initial God-ordained created order of things. The man submits to God, then leads and stewards marriage, family, and creation. After the fall, man struggles against those he should be leading and struggles to submit to the Lord. So how did the serpent do it? He appealed to the desire of the man to be his own authority. This is the root of a man's problem, and it's a worship problem. When I don't lead, listen men, when I don't lead my family well, it's a worship problem. When I look at porn and give in to the moment, it's a worship problem. When I cut corners on any God-given responsibility, it's a worship problem. When I buck the preaching of the Word of God on Sundays and write off what the pastor is saying as relevant for someone else but not for me, it's a worship problem. When I don't love and serve my wife, it's a worship problem. Subjection over that which would enslave me comes from submission to the Lord. If I'm going to have authority and power and bring into subjection those things that would enslave me, then I'm going to have to first submit to the authority of the Lord. So my submission leads to my subjection of those things that want to have authority over me. Make sense? So when I'm, when I'm living in submission to the Lord, he's going to empower me. And in that obedience and submission, which is an act of worship, as I worship the Lord and the joy and the purpose and the fulfillment come from that relationship, then I'm going to be able to be a conqueror when it comes to those things that want to enslave me to the contrary. But if I'm not living in obedience to the Lord and I'm not worshiping the Lord and I'm not living in subjection and submission to the Lord, then what's going to happen is I'm going to look elsewhere to those things that I should have victory over and they will now enslave me instead. Because everybody's going to be mastered by something. Everybody. Like the strongest, toughest dude ever cannot say nothing masters me. Everybody's mastered by something. Because we're created. And when you're created, you're mastered. So you're created and you submit to the master creator or you're created and you submit to the flesh that you're created in. 
That's the, that's the two options. Everyone's mastered. So God gives these instructions and says that everything is good at the end of our text. But man failed. God has given that which is good, instructed the man in that, but man is dominated by sex, by food, by relationships, by work, by money, and a host of other things that God had intended for good and that carry responsibility for the man to act in a way that reflects the person and nature of God. Man could not maintain dominion or subjection, and because of that, man needs a Savior who can. God creates man and sets him up for stewardship and authority, and man fails, and only God can bring any hope in the brokenness of the fall. In Genesis 3.15, God promises deliverance from the curse of sin when he curses the serpent. He promises that a man will be born of woman who will crush the very enemy, who crushed the spirit and will of man. Let's read it. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He promises that a man will be born of woman who will crush the very enemy, who crushed the spirit and will of man. And Jesus is the one who did just that. He did it. Like we're not waiting to see if he's going to do it. He did it. Like it's a done deal. He completed that work. He did it. He conquered. He came. He saw. He conquered. Now, look, let's look how he did it. Let's turn, turn with me if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2. So God's given us these instructions as men, and this is what we're to do, and this is what we've been commanded. But in the fall, things are now broken and upside down, and what we need is someone who can conquer that which has conquered us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to, to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We tell students this at Snowbird. We, we, we preached this last summer, this verse. No one ever drifts toward holiness. No one ever drifts toward God's purpose. No one ever drifts towards joy. It is a white-knuckle, bloody-clawed fight for holiness. You want to live in the purpose God's called you to? It will be bloody and sweaty and difficult, and you will fall down, and you will lose battles, and you will just keep fighting. And sometimes you'll fight from your back. Sometimes you'll fight from your feet. And sometimes you'll fight as a conqueror, and other times you will fight as a slave looking for freedom and liberation. The bottom line is, it's a fight. It's a labor. It's intense. But we don't drift towards those things. But in a moment, how quick have we experienced this? You can drift away from it. Just take your hands. It's it's as easy as if you're running down the interstate and you're running 90 miles an hour and you take your hands off the wheel. How long does it take? Not long. Not long. And you'll you'll be in trouble. And so we we don't drift towards these things, but we can very quickly drift away from them For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we're speaking wasn't to angels that God subjected the world to come. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. We do not yet see everything in subjection, but we see him for a little while who is made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 
For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. What's he saying? He's saying, okay, what we could not bring under subjection, Christ did. Christ conquered that which we could not conquer. And when we look at the brokenness and the fallenness of the world, we see that the whole world has not yet been put in total subjection under him. It's still broken and it's still fallen. But Christ is now crowned in glory and honor. And so he has taken his rightful position. And here's what's going to happen. There will come a day where he will put all things right. And in the here and the now, whatever's broken in your life can be put right by the one who has the authority to do it. So you want your marriage corrected? It's all about Jesus. You want your wayward 16-year-old to come to the Lord? It's all about Jesus. You, your, your kids are out of the house and you're going, it's too late for me. I can't do anything about it. It's all about Jesus. If he could bring death under subjection, if he could bring sin under subjection, if he could bring temptation under subjection, if he could have dominion over the creation that he made, he spoke it into creation and sustains it the same way. The Bible says in Hebrews 1. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 that by him all things hold together. And if he can hold all of the created order together, if he can tell stars where to go and when to travel and when to move and how the earth should turn on its axis, if he could create gravity and oxygen and an inhabitable place that only humans could survive in this one planet, if he can do that and then sustain it, he can fix your porn problem. He can fix your money problem. He can fix your sin problem. He can fix your broken marriage. He can set you free from whatever abuse you dealt with as a child. He can set you free from your own rage and anger issues, addiction, alcohol, whatever it is that's got a grip on you, a stranglehold on you. It ain't about you. It's about Jesus. You can't beat it. He already has. So what you got to do is submit to him. No more than Adam Won the day in the garden. Are you going to win the day in your own power and your own strength to be the man that you want to be? But in Christ, you will be. Because everything's already in subjection to him. Jesus never lost a battle. He's never dropped his guard. He's never, like, the writer of Hebrews will go on to say, though tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. Listen to this from Romans chapter 5. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. That's Adam. So Adam was our representative. Adam was the father of all of us. And when Adam sinned, we sinned in Adam. The Puritans used to teach this to their kids. Some of you have taught it to your kids. It's a good thing to know and teach and believe that the reason you're a sinner is not because you're born and then you sin, but because you're conceived in iniquity and in sin your mother brought you forth. You're born like a demon child. Like you're like the breath of Satan coming into the world. Like, like, I, mean, like, I mean, literally, you're born in need of redemption. And if any of you got toddlers, you're like, amen, amen, amen. Yes, yes. <laughs> Lord, I pray for this child. He needs Jesus. Please save him. Like, like some people are praying over their kids at night and they're like, God, do great things for this child. Raise him up. And others of you are like, God, keep this kid from dying in the next like 48 hours, please. And then save him at some point, you know, like we need Jesus from birth because why? Because we're born under Adam. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those who sinned and was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus, 
abounded for many. And the, free, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Here's what he's saying. Adam, Adam messed it up, and we're right there with him. And Adam is our representative, and I remain in Adam for the course of my life and into eternity. Unless I come under the new man. And that's Jesus. And he's the new Adam. He's the second Adam. And thanks be to God, when I was 19 years old, I called on the name of the Lord and was saved. And I'm no longer representative by my first father, Adam. I am represented by Jesus, the second Adam. That's who represents me. By the one man, the many will be made righteous. By the one man, the many will be good husbands. By the one man, the many will be faithful employees. By the one man, the many will conquer porn addiction and pill addiction and alcohol addiction. By the one man, the many will raise godly sons and daughters. By the one man, the many will grow strong churches and impact the world and tackle sexual trafficking like human trafficking and tackle racism and defeat the things in this world that would come against the gospel and the work of Jesus in the world. By the one man, we will become more than conquerors. By the one man. Adam failed, and we can look at Adam's failure and be defined by it because we have failure of our own. Or we can look at what Christ has done at the cross and be defined by that. And here's what he goes on in the next chapter. Listen to this. In Romans 6, he says this. Romans 6, verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has, here's the word, dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Adam failed and didn't maintain dominion. And so we're born in and under the dominion of sin. But through Christ, sin will no longer have dominion over you. No longer have dominion over you. Paul says it this way to the Corinthians. Everything's good. Not everything's beneficial. Bottom line is, don't be dominated by anything. What's the root word of dominate? Dominion. Don't let anything have dominion in your life. But Christ, you're in a war, and sometimes you're going to take some shots. Sometimes you're going to lose some battles. But there's no place in the Christian man's life for a tap-out quitter mentality. It doesn't exist. Keep fighting. Keep digging. Drill into the Word of God. Submit to Christ daily. Open his word and believe that life and godliness is there for you. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others better than you love yourself, specifically your wives and sons and daughters. And those in your church and those in your community. And don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't submit your members, your eyes, your mind, your sexual organs, your hands to the flesh and to sin and to its demands. Don't be dominated by anything that Christ has already dominated. But be dominated by Christ. And live in victory. 
So we can say with Paul in Romans 8, we therefore overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. That's who you are. You're a man of God because of who Christ is. I'll pray and we'll close with a couple songs. Lord, I pray that tonight you'd help us to be the man you want us to be. I thank you for your word and I thank you for the authority with which you wrote it. I thank you for the authority with which you conquered sin and death and hell and the grave. And I thank you, Jesus, that you were tempted in every way just as we are, yet you were without sin. You know the weight of our temptation. You know the weight of our struggle. I pray for a man here tonight, God, that that can't seem to get victory in an area of his life. I pray for a man here tonight that's marriage is unraveling. I pray here for a man here tonight whose marriage is already unraveled. And he's lost. He doesn't know where to go from here. I pray for guys that have come here needing a spiritual drink of water. I pray for men that are here that are fighting the good fight, that are, that are laboring for the gospel, that are trying to be more than conquerors. I pray that you would fill their cups to overflowing while they're here and load their guns and give them the focus and the vision and the direction that they need to go do and be what you've called us to be. I pray that as we worship you with these last couple songs, we would do so from hearts of joy and gratitude because you're worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.